Hello and welcome to the Chosen Brew Podcast. My name is Ian McNally. I'm the host and creator of the Chosen Brew Podcast. In this episode, I was lucky enough to interview Dave and Luke from Ale of a Time, which is an award-winning blog, and they've got a great podcast as well. So if you haven't checked it out, get on to Ale of a Time online and also have a look in the iTunes store for their gear because it's superb. We recorded this episode outside in the garden. It was a beautiful day, so you might hear one or two odd sounds in the background, but it's very listenable. So let's get on with it. Hello listeners, welcome to The Chosen Brew. Today I have uh, two guests that I'm being double teamed. Mm-hmm. Um, Phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose uh, I should introduce you. I've got uh, Dave and Luke from Ale of a Time, which is an award-winning blog. It's uh, I've got a podcast as well, which has been going since late 2013. Is that yeah, about right? Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So t- tell us a bit about how you got started with the Ale of a Time and, um, and also the podcast. So we were both bloggers uh, before the podcast, and we kind of met through just general beer stuff. I think at the time that um, we met was sort of a time in the Melbourne industry where if you were trying to keep up with what was on the cutting edge of beer, you sort of encountered the same people frequently, Mm. Uh, and that's certainly how we sort of started socially hanging out, and Mm. then few Friday afternoons after work at Slow Beer and we'd have these conversations that we thought just had to be heard by more than just the table. So, um, <laughs> we need to broadcast this internationally. Yeah. That um, is some confidence in your conversational skills. Yeah. That <laughs> so like blind. He, he says it jokingly, but that's, that's really what we thought. Because <laughs> I would say in Slow Beer, pretty much everyone can hear your conversation if you're having it. So Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Even though we're moving away to just to get away from the nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't take those signals. We went the opposite direction. Yeah. So what made you be so persistent and continue? What, what's happened? Is that, is that sort of, have you feel like you've grown with the industry as well? Or uh, I think so. A little bit like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think... Being consistent was kind of always the plan. Like, we both love podcasts, and that's kind of the the problem with a lot of the podcasts. Where I was trying to listen to local ones; they weren't consistent. They would stop for six months and do one, and and I wanted to listen to more, so I and I couldn't. So we figured let's just do one that's actually consistent. And that way, people were going to keep us in their rotation. Um, I also yeah. got looked really like unfairly positive feedback from my blog that I started years ago. Um, almost immediately, I'll discuss it how I started the blog a bit later on because it's to do with one of the beers that I've chosen. But um, a few posts in James Davidson, who's now the marketing manager at Bright Brewery, um, he stumbled. He's probably the quintessential beer nerd if there if there is one. He um, was a meme for a while, and he's actually yeah, a beer nerd meme. Sure, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he found my blog from googling Australian beer blogs, I think, because I had no, I wasn't wasn't pushing it. I was just writing it and then like expecting that people would just find it and um and and read it and share it themselves. I had no idea what I was doing in as much as pushing it. But he found it and he said he emailed me and said we've got this uh, Australian Beer Writers Guild that was op- operating a very informal, not or not well organised ragtag band of um, beer writers and he said 
we're having this meeting which is really just like a dinner with some booze come along if you want and join in and we did that and the president of that um guild was james smith who's the crafty pint um founder and pretty much the godfather of melbourne beer at least or australian beer in general but mm. melbourne in particular uh and off that he he thought because i i knew that i didn't know what i was talking about so the only way to make my blog interesting was to try and add a little humor or whatever different about that and he liked that and then he started to get me to do a few things for the crafty pint website so i had no business being getting any of this because if you if I, if I look back at my original like blog posts they're so cringeworthy i can't even get through like <laughs> reading off a full one but for whatever reason it struck a chord with him um and it gave me a real sense that i'm of belonging that i did not deserve so i feel like yeah people should be listening to what i'm saying <laughs> although, <laughs> although you said the guild was an informal ragtag but anything with the word guild it sounds terrible, so no. serious well we um like it's they been, had cloaks yeah exactly. it was <laughs> a very brutal hazing uh initiation uh we've had we've had like there's been some discussions to reform that group and when they said to me do you want to come back to it i said sure as long as the name changes it's the worst <laughs> name for any group of people so um yeah stay tuned mm. i think i was gonna do something and i never did right this could be the impetus yeah maybe nah i have a job or anything so <laughs> plenty of time <laughs> Well, we'll start off, uh, Luke. Uh, obviously, you're here to talk through the six beers that changed everything for you. Mm. Um, so, first choice. Yeah, cool. I'm very, very intrigued and interested about this. We're going to go through 12 beers, so... Uh, probably more than that. Keep, if, keep, if, 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 we, if we can't get to the ones that just missed out, then I'll hate myself, I think, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so going to have to scroll to look at my list, so that might give you an indication of how many I've been yeah, yeah. Well, you, you have been a member of a guild, so <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't expect that. <laughs> um, so my first one is actually probably the first beer that made me realise that beer was slightly more interesting than sweet lager. Uh, I'm originally from the west coast of New Zealand, and Monteith's was somewhat of our local craft brewery, for, for lack of a better word. Still owned by DB at the time, um, or always been owned by DB. But they had a beer called Celtic Red, um, which was an amber. I think it was a lager. It wasn't an ale, but it was definitely maltier than anything else there. And uh, that was always on tap. And, and for some reason, I was attracted to... I'm not even sure I liked it, but it was different. <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe I'm a contrarian at heart. But that was kind of my, my go-to beer when I was maybe 18. Uh, and yeah, maybe it, I guess it made me realize that beer was something a little bit more exciting when they finally took it off tap at my local, the barman took me aside or the owner took me aside and said, look, I'm sorry, but you're the only one that drinks. (laughs) 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 Um, and then I I went to find a bottle for the, for, to refresh my memory before the show. And it turns out they discontinued it uh, two years ago, I think. He got an email from the CEO of Montes and went, listen, you were the only one that ever drank it. So, <laughs> not sustainable business model. No, I actually emailed, but I did email DB and I'm like, what happened with this? Like, when did it happen? And I, they never gave me a, a proper answer. So it doesn't exist anymore, but Montes Cultic Readers uh, started me off on, on beer, I think. Excellent. So, uh, you know, when you're walking into the, your local pub, what, what else was on? Mm. So most... Uh, well, my hometown has many pubs, like 14 pubs or something for 4,000 people. Uh, it's famous for having pubs. <laughs> so most of them would have uh, Canterbury Draft, DB Draft, 
state. So that kind of New Zealand, um, New Zealand draft lager is what people are calling it now, where it's slightly maltier and a little bit more character than a Australian lager, but still pretty yeah. average in the greater scheme. Um, so yeah, they were kind of the three, and then be you know DB export lager as well, uh, and then so Montes Celtic Red kind of stood out in those kind of situations. Also, my in New Zealand and in my hometown especially, dark beers are really popular. Um, like everyone, you have to have a dark lager or, or stout. So, would quite often drink um, Monteith Dark or our local Miners Dark, which probably weren't flash, but that was that were different. There was some character there that, um, yeah, yeah, excellent, Dave. Um, when I was became legal drinking age and was buying beers for house parties or whatever, I always was choosing something different, and whether I was going from Bex to Pilsner or Kell to Stella, I thought I was doing wildly different things when if you analyse it fully, not much different at all. Um so I always had like that sense of just wanting to try something a little bit different. And then the day that I went down to watch a late night soccer match at the Charles Dickens Tavern on Collins Street, mm. I got a bottle of beer and it was the Samuel Smith Taddy Porter. And that was the beer that I was just like, oh, this is like a totally different character to any like... Because I'd had the James Squire Porter, which is pretty good. But like um, the Sam Sam Smith Taddy Porter is so like rich and savory that I'd never had anything like that. And that was when I sort of started to realize that there's some wildly different flavors in beers that I've had from what I've had before. And um, it might be a bit of fun to seek them out and explore a little bit so um that's one also that i've had recently and it like tasted exactly the same as i remember it from the, the, the it very first time held up uh, then to your memory yeah, yeah yeah definitely yeah there's plenty that haven't i think naturally is you know palates develop and all this sort of stuff but um yeah that's one that maybe it's just like a nostalgic value but um i think i'll always love that for you yeah what was the game you were watching at the Charles Dickens? Uh, it was Sheffield Wednesday and... <laughs> They've been discontinued almost. Yeah, I, think Sheffield yeah. Wednesday. Uh, I was with a whole bunch of Wednesday fans. They're the ones that talked me into going. I can't remember who they were playing against, but it was a embarrassing loss. A waste of everyone's time. But, Except um, for that but discovery. I found the Taddy Porter. Yeah, That is, yeah. That it's makes fate. it special. Mm, absolutely. Wow. I'm impressed that you remembered the game. That sounds like a very forgettable yeah, game. Yeah, it wasn't good. It was <laughs> you ever had it, Luke? Oh, I reckon I would have, but not for a long time. I went like... There was a pretty obnoxious period where I was pushing it on a lot of people. And like this Imper- the Sam Smith's Imperial Stout as well. Um, the Imperial Stout, yeah. really, really good. Yeah, really velvety and smooth. Yeah. And, but that's not the one I picked. So, <laughs> focusing on that. No, delicious beer though. Really good. Excellent. Yeah. Um... Well, I'll I'll go back to you, Luke, mm. for your num- number two. Um, so after, I guess, moving over here and getting into beer, uh, we went to Josie Bones, the, the now defunct restaurant uh, here in Melbourne. And I'd started the blog as a, a university project and my brother was in town and my girlfriend and we all kind of just wanted to, I don't know, go eat some meat and drink some beer and, and went along to Josie Bones. And the first beer we had was the Renaissance uh, Stonecutter, mm. Scotch Ale from New Zealand, and that just blew me away. Um, it's probably similar to Celtic Red in terms of that rich amber malt profile. You know, it's probably malt focused, and just, it was so much depth, so much um, character to that beer. It just kind of 
it made me realize there was another level above, you know, the ones I've been picking up at the bottle shop, some, you know, standard sort of local pale ales and things like that. And this was a, a level above all those. Uh, so, yeah, Renaissance Stonecutter. And that beer still holds up. Yeah, it really is good. good yeah. Their whole, like, core range. Mm. Like, I'm not enamored with some of their, like, seasonals and one-time releases, but their core range are all so mm. solid and so mm. delicious. We don't see many of their beers anymore, I don't think, in Australia. We see bits and pieces. Grape and grain, pretty regular. Like, oh, okay. They have the core ones on the reg and some of the mm. uh, seasonals and stuff. So. Maybe I have to revisit it. But, yeah, that beer really just made me pause and go, wow. This is incredible. But it also kind of like it. It looks special. Like the, like at the time when we were getting them initially, there weren't many like classy looking labels mm. in that format bottle, and it kind of looked like a treat. Mm. It looked fun. It's quite regal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the uh, design of that. Yeah, it, yeah, it does feel like they've you be in a castle. Definitely, because um, they, they've named enjoy, them yeah. such as well, like Stonecutter and yeah. Discovery, and I can't think. Of once, but yeah. <laughs> if they're, they're all all their names could have the word guild after them oh, <laughs> stone cut a guild yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um number two oh I'm, I'm gonna go with um i mentioned uh that i would refer to a how i started my blog so um uh shortly after drinking the taddy porter i talked to my mates that um we're from England, and I said, "If you like that, don't know where you'll find it, but there's a beer called the Dark Island Reserve from the Orkney Island Brewery, which is a 10% barrel-aged, somewhat a version of that Taddy Porter." And, and I was, I thought I was a pretty a bit of a hot shot, high flyer. So I was like, fifty dollars on a bottle of beer, I can probably swing that. And I went to uh, Ackland Cellars um, in St Kilda, and I found a bottle of it, and I bought it. And I took it home and had it, and from like the second sip in, I just had to tell my mate about it, and I started to like write and describe this beer, and I ended up writing like a two-page just rant <laughs> that I think my friend still has. So I'd love you to read it back and see how nonsensical it is. Um, it's just good to hear that you're still friends. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but he, I bet like that was such a complex. And, like, again, it was, like, flavours that I'd never really even encountered anything like that in beers. Um, but it was so striking that it just, like... I think it became... Uh, I told him the next morning, I apologised and said, sorry, that beer was so good it inspired literature. And that became part of the lexicon <laughs> if we tried beers. And he said, yeah, it was good. I don't doesn't inspire literature, but it was good. <laughs> um, and then because of doing that rambling, I went... And I was trying to make my friend laugh as well as tell him what the beer was like as well. So um, that was kind of the impetus to start doing the same thing on the reg. And that's how I pretty much started my blog, yeah. And $50, was there any points where that was, it, this is a very worthwhile beer, but 50 did you go back and um, get a second bottle? I've had it since. So, yeah, I think I've had it once since then. So I think like those kind of like top shelf beers, I mean like at... at uh, Ackland Cellars where I bought it it was sort of maybe one of 10 beers at that price point that they had so whether or not it was worth it or not I mean it's up for debate but um, I mean I don't know sort of that was that was one after the initial um, experience of drinking the Taddy Porter that was the one that really like catapulted me into seeking everything out that was a bit weird and wonderful 
Now, choice three. So mine uh, actually comes from that same evening. Uh, so that that evening at Josie Bones was pretty inspirational for my beer career, really. Uh, we had Brewdog Tokyo to finish the meal, uh, which is an 18% Imperial Stout, which at the time was pretty like outrageous to us. It's pretty exotic. Yeah, which it still is, I guess. Yeah. Like it's, still, it's not like they're on tap everywhere at the moment. Um, yeah, that just blew us away. And, and, you know, Brewdog, who are these plucky upstarts that we've never heard of making these 18% beers? And it's been being rich and intense and sweet and um, decadent. We split a bottle amongst three of us. And my brother still hasn't really recovered from that in terms of, <laughs> like, if he's going to a bottle shop, he just buys that. Or, like, M- McCullough, you know, his collaboration, the Black Tokyo Rising or whatever it is. I'm like, dude. It's time to move on. Like that was like seven <laughs> years ago. Uh, you know, let's just try something else. But so he's still stuck on the, on that beer. I I don't know if I'd still enjoy it. I think probably it's a bit sweet for my palate now. But uh, yeah, that was a a really landmark beer. It went wait, okay, Stonecutter was a step up. What is this? Um, yeah, I used to buy quite a lot of it, and it would pop up on tap every now and then. And, and that that beer was one that I had on my didn't make the cut, but deserved a mention um, list because back in the day. Um, the bar currently known as Deja Vu used to be Bureau. It's closed down. Now, oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, right. The bar, the bar formerly known as Deja Vu used to be known as um, Bureau. And they had these famous Wednesday night um, offerings where they had like outrageous taps and they had $5 pints across the board. So on one, uh, well, I guess forgettable uh, <laughs> Wednesday night, <laughs> I had a pint of Black of Tokyo. <laughs> Uh, and it, again, it was like same story. It was like, wow, what is going on here? I have had it since, and I, I find it disgusting. It's so so <laughs> sw- sticky and sweet, and I just I can't handle it. How um, did they go, bust? How did? It? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so at a, an alarming rate, they did. Um, yeah, so that was some hilarious. But like that was a f- pretty formative place for I think a lot of people because. Wednesday nights, at bureau, you were at bureau, and then you'd see every brewer there because I think they recognised that. It was just crazy access to these crazy beers at these crazy prices. So it was like you'd see the who's who there every Wednesday night. Uh, and I was working like 2 p.m. till 10 p.m. shifts. So I could easily get away with it back in the day. <laughs> but um, I couldn't do it nowadays. Yeah. So how, how important, I suppose this for question for both of you, how important or how significant do you think the actual um, experience of who you're with and and the scenario that you, you obviously uh luke and josie bones mm. so you're probably quite relaxed enjoying yourself yeah out definitely time. Do you think how important do you think it is to have actually the right setting to to drink beer i think it it helps um i guess to I guess put a, a, a different scenario um i was recently back home and had i was at a mate's house and you know his, his family and a couple of friends were over and kids running around beautiful day uh and we had a can of lion brown which is a new zealand another draft lager very very sweet and not great but you know he's he apologized it's like you, you don't have to apologize that's fine <laughs> um but you know it was a lovely beer and i you know had a couple um and it was you know that setting it was great so and you know i've now got that memory attached to that beer uh so i'll, I'll probably enjoy it with that in mind so yeah i agree i think it's huge the context of beers that you have it's all about it. I mean, some of the best memories are less about the actual beers you're drinking, but like the scenarios. And we've had some great ones. Like one that sticks out is being at Mountain Goats when they had the, I can't remember what the release was, but they had the 
barrel versions of the Hightail. Mm. Uh, and we were all sitting around drinking, like, what was the, the whatever the white wine uh, version white was. White wine, Chardonnay, it was a Chardonnay, Chardonnay Hightail. Hightail. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. And, like, I have a great memory of that, but it was just a great night that we were all hanging out at the goat. And mm. I'm sure that's a contributing Did they have fried chicken on that night as well? I think they did, yeah. yeah. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, third choice. Third. What shall I go with? Um... Why haven't you thought of this already, Dave? You've I know, I didn't time. order them. This is <laughs> outrageous. Uh, I will opt for... All right, yeah, I'm going to go with Two Brothers Voodoo, the Baltic Porter. Um, f- few re- reasons. A, a similar sort of time that like, I decided I was going to pursue this and start researching and looking things up. I realized that there was a brewery almost literally around the corner from my house that I'd never heard of. Uh and they were doing some pretty cool things, and one of which would they just won a gold medal for this beer at this awards that I'd never heard of, the Aver Awards, but they just won a gold medal for it. So I went and checked it out, and um, I'd never heard of a Baltic Porter. It hasn't, they haven't really cropped up as a regular beer since since then. I've seen a few breweries that have had some seasonals or once-offs for mm. them, but I don't think any other brewery's got a core Baltic Porter. Not in Australia uh, for sure. No. Uh, so I went to this factory. Like I didn't realize that every single brewery in the world was in an industrial area, but um, <laughs> it was a weird little place next to all these taxi mechanics, and uh, I w- didn't even look like it was an operating business. But then as soon as you opened the doors, it was a bit of a party in there. Uh, and because I'd heard of this beer, I ordered it, and it came in a nice glass, and it was well presented, and I had it, and it was just delicious. This like rich chocolatey and I'd know all the beers that I'd like experimented with I'd gone to Ackland Cellars and they're famous uh, they're on their wall they got like over 500 beers from all around the world so I'd never even looked at the like the local section I didn't care because of all these what I assumed were rare treats from around the world so I had this amazing chocolatey rich Baltic porter that um, was brewed like around the corner from my house and that sort of was one of the ones that went where else are these around here? I mean, is it? I mean, turned out at the time there wasn't many around there. <laughs> but um, still waiting five years. For yeah, exactly, exactly. There. But um, that was what made me sort of realise. Let's pursue some of these local things and see what what turns up. Mm. We're racing through. This is we've yeah. gone through six beers already. I, I'm very intrigued, Dave. You've sort of gone for the. You're on the dark side. You have you've gone. gone that dark was side. really yeah. formative. Yeah, yeah, for me, like uh, dark beers really. Um, that was where I jumped in and sort of found a bit, I think, yeah. Do you, know, you probably don't do, drink heaps of dark beer anymore, do you? No, no. So, like, mm. I mean, tastes change and this mm. and that. I still enjoy... Um, well, I mean, I mean, this is pretty uh, indicative of my taste, but, like, around the time that I had that first um, voodoo, I think I bought a mixed case of that and the governor, which is, like, a barley wine, a big, like, sweet barley wine... Um, and that was maybe in 2011, I'd say, and I've still got bottles of that. Like, I just, I just, I mean, they're at, like, it was a little bit out of sight, out of mind. Mm. And I, I think my idea was that I would try and sell them, but, um, I just, that's, I'm never really in the mood for, for it. Yeah. So cellaring is just not drinking them really. So. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bad memory. So you don't <laughs> have to try and do it. But like I, whenever <laughs> I am curious and I bring them out, I'm like, wow, these have like held up really well and they're really, yeah. really good beers. But like, yeah, no, like 
the really really dark beers aren't really my forte anymore. Hmm. But they're in your six. So yeah, yeah, oh, like yeah. I still like they, they still hold pretty special places. Like I don't think, I don't know. Like I think that I don't think it's a pretty common um, cycle for people to find and it will enjoy new flavors in dark beers because they might be less abrasive than like kicking off with a really hoppy IPA that might just turn you off the whole idea of exploring further. Mm. When you get like familiar flavors like chocolate and coffee and stuff, mm. it's an easy approach, I think, perhaps. Mm. It's also, um, you know... You've just made me conscious. I want to check you my <laughs> list. I think I just started off with all the dark ones. All right. it, it's also interesting, like, it's so far removed from what you know as beer. Like, you're told that beer is one sure, thing. Sure, yeah. Um, that's definitely part of it. By the media or, or, you know, everyone, this is just what beer is. And then you're like, well, what's this thing? This is not like beer at all. And it's, it's really interesting. I want to explore that. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people kick off with dark beers as their kind of... I know there's that saying or it's a movie quote of, um, you know, to get someone's attention, you can't just tap them on the shoulder politely. You need to whack them around the head. And I think dark beer, like these kind of beers do that when you're Orkney Dark Island Reserve, 50 bucks. You're like, whoa, what mm. is this? <laughs> Tokyo, <laughs> what? This makes no sense. And then you kind of work your way back down and go, okay. That's right. Well, and in those days, I did like identify, like, as like if anyone asked what sort of beer I liked, I was like, I'm dark, like dark beers. That's, that's, that's what I'm into. So, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely all part of those early formative sort of beers that I loved well I'm intrigued about your final three I am too actually go, go, moving from dark, dark Beer Dave what a storyteller I'm turning out to be <laughs> you're painting a picture of your life <laughs> <laughs> so we're on to the fourth choice so mine uh, is local uh, the Bridge Road Chiva, Chiva, Chivalier. We t- discussed the pronunciation off my. You looked early. it up earlier. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you no, stumbled I, on I, it. I, I can't believe I it. wasn't confident. Yeah. I was <laughs> overthinking it. Um, their saison, uh, and I think I had that again pretty early on in my in my drinking career, and was just completely blown away by the character of a saison, the the yeast character, the the real dryness, um, the, the sort of peppery spiciness in that beer, and I guess a lot of people at saison de pont that they have that moment with. Um, I, I hadn't had Saison DuPont at that point, and I think the Bridge Road Saison's equal to that um, when it's nice and fresh, and, and that was certainly my experience. And I, I also think like the presentation of that um, yeah. strikes you a little bit, because it looks like a bottle of champagne that you might have at a fancy restaurant, perhaps, mm. but um, I, which we never saw any packaging like that, I don't think, in the country. Yeah, and that was kind of his intent. was to Yeah, of course. He wanted pack- to break into restaurants, I yeah. think. So. Yeah. And I, I think I might have even had that at the local tap house, um, meeting a sort of similar group of the people who would see it the same things, and... Uh, I th- might have even been a brew dog tasting, uh, possibly during Good Beer Week, the very first one. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, that was the beer I remembered from that night, was the, the Saison. And since then, I guess I, I love Saison, and, and that's probably been very influential in my, my ongoing taste after that. And was that in a, so you say it was in a 750 mil, was it? Yeah. I had it on tap at the time. So oh, right. Um, okay, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. To, yeah they've, like they've just put it out, and there was 750s now it's in four packs, I think, of. 330 mils. Yeah. But it was definitely, um, maybe some places like Hargraves Hill and stuff were doing some bigger beers in champagne bottles, but mm. the f- it was certainly the first one that I'd ever seen mm. that was in a 750 mil like sh- uh, champagne style bottle. Because mm. um, there seemed to be a short period of time where that was a, a real trend to buy beer to share. Yeah, that's right. Mat- or in s- to replace wine. But I think it's sort of receded a little bit, I think. It, w- it was almost yeah. a symptom of trying to find beer's place in the market, and everyone was trying to work out what this thing was. Cause, and we st- I guess we still are. Mm. Um, it's growing so quickly, we're still kind of trying to play catch-up with actually understanding it. And 
yeah, you know, okay, do we need to replace wine? And so back then, you you still get wine versus beer dinners, where it's this kind of like, who, who, who's a beer drinker, who's a wine drinker, and you know, we need to replace it. And I, I guess I'm a fan of why can't we have both? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's all like, yeah, exactly. I'm a dark beer drinker, yeah. or not? You know, well, no, I can have all of them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I like good taste. So, and, and I think now the beer market's maturing and going. Okay, if you like something good, we've got something for you. Um, but it's fine if you don't. You know, there's there's plenty of other good beers out there. We don't have to replace anything. Yeah, we can just be there. We can just be beer. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I think that's where beer. You know, that's part of the attraction, isn't it? It's sort of it's a democratic uh, yeah, yeah. beverage. It's yeah, like just what it is. Absolutely. Um, Dave. All right. <laughs> Choice edge of your seats, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Stella. My <laughs> my fourth selection is going to be the uh, Cantillon uh, 100% Biolambic. Uh, Goes. yeah, of course. And that was one where, like, I think I'd heard the name before. I didn't really know what was up with it. But again, I thought I was a bit of a hot shot. So it was an expensive bottle. I thought, I've, I've got that. I've got that cash in my pocket. Um, Grabbed it. First sip. Well, before the first sip, the aroma confused the hell out of me. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. But I also was so naive that I didn't even think the possibility was that the beer was flawed. I just thought, what is going on in this glass? First sip utterly confounded me. I've I've never had an issue with sourness with anything. So, like, I didn't mind the sourness, but I didn't know what was going on. And I had the 750ml bottle to myself. And from first sip to last, I did not work any of it out. I was confused with every single sip. I didn't know if I enjoyed it or not. But it, I certainly like lit a fire about like what is going on here. I've got to find out more about this kind of beer. Um, if you can... Because sometimes, like, I mean, I've got an issue... Like, not an issue, but like, I don't like buying big format bottles because... Halfway through most of them, especially if they're like big, high in ABV, I'm like, this is becoming a task. Mm. I don't, I'm not interested anymore. Whereas with that, I was as curious with each sip, or more increasingly curious to try and work out what I was drinking. That um, that started what was like a continuing fascination and just love for sour beers. So that's a, that was a, a very clear moment of when I started to buy sour beers and appreciate the funk character of certain things but just such a confusing experience when you when no one goes this is a sour beer have you ever tried this it's a bit like this sort of wine perhaps or like i had no frame of reference and i was going in blind and it was a weird experience and what was the sort of time frame between uh your first choice and this choice in terms of jumping from that porter um, to the it wasn't i like jumped in head like because i started the blog so i felt like it was a bit of a duty to drink some beers so like it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> far after it so i mean i was going from those like pretty smooth rounded uh rich characteristics of dark beers into to this oh i didn't even know how to describe it i quite I didn't do any posts or any writing about it because I, I don't know what i was drinking but um <laughs> i just had to try and find some more of it and try and figure it out yeah oh, wow excellent Actually, that's a terrible choice, Dave. Uh, <laughs> just, just, and, and I'll let you continue. Uh, <laughs> look, yeah, I preferred Dark Dave. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Rather than like confused old man Dave. Yeah, yeah, you've set us all on edge. <laughs> <laughs> now, Luke, 
Choice five. So literally what Dave just said, uh, except for the Cantillon Rose Deacon. Oh, did I totally ruin everything? Yeah, pretty much. uh, (laughs) Exactly the same experience. Um, Similar experience. Uh, Emma and I, uh, we shared a bottle. We bought it over the bar at the Courthouse Hotel. Once a a massive craft beer supporter, one of the kind of early adopters of, of great beer. And... Yeah, had the same experience. Uh, I thought it smelled like garbage and tasted not much better, but I didn't make sense why it tasted like that or what the point of it tasting like that was to me, and I wanted to understand it better. I wanted to know more. Uh, and my girlfriend at the time, she hated it. She was just like, I can't finish this. I'm like, yeah, great. I'll, I'll happily finish what you've what you've left. Uh, now she loves uh, Lambic as much as I do. Um, we've, we've been to Canteon together and plan on going back um so yeah but that that beer uh i still love it now it's probably my favorite of the the standard cantillons um you know it's just a beautiful beer um ages really well really good with food i hate sharing it with people uh i'll happily have a 750 to myself and yeah and did you do you ever get this thing where uh you say order a a beer or a bar and the bar staff try to warn you or or turn you off it and say you do realize that this is you know that happened to us when we were at um the royston one time we got the mckella it's like one of the sour beers and the guy's like you know this is a sour i'm like yeah we got this it's fine <laughs> and it just turns out it was a fucking terrible beer like it tasted like burnt <laughs> rubber i remember that actually and yeah, like so we, i didn't think we drank it and i yeah. felt like the barman had a moment of like mm, yeah i don't think they <laughs> <Yeah>. knew <laughs> it's like no it was just a terrible terrible experience <laughs> um yeah I, and i think bar people probably do need to some extent like and i know beer people get a little bit offended or, or feel like they're being patronized we're like, the worst like it's like, just you know how dare they tell yeah, me it's oh. a, uh, a stout like of course i know that and it's like yeah but the five other people in line don't know that and they're just picking mm. a nice label. So, I think when you're at those festivals as well, a lot more of the more like florid, natural, descriptive conversations you hear are all girls yeah. talking about it. Because like, there's no shutdowns if they don't nail a characteristic in particular. Yeah. Um, and they don't have like, we should know this and yeah. we don't so I'll stay quiet. They're just saying what comes into their head when they drink a beer, which is always fun to listen to when you're around, I reckon. Yeah. Mm. So... Choice five, Dave. Uh, okay, so I'll go with Eight Wide's Tall Poppy. Um, that was, again, like Eight Wide were a, a brewery that like w- were around when I was really starting to get into it. Um, and their like label design, I think, was sort of neat and attractive. That like also at the time, New Zealand beers were like the shit, right? Yeah, they were really hot over here. Yeah. So um, and they I still are. By the had way. Tall Poppy. <laughs> Was it? I can't remember what the descriptor was. Did they call it a red IPA uh, I think or a red ale? India red ale. India red ale. Yeah. Right. So I didn't even. Really, I think I knew what it meant, but I wasn't really sure. And then like that beer is such a great balance of um, rich malt and pretty aggressive hop, and uh, that really like I think that was probably one of the beers that like shifted me away from dark beers into more light clean hoppier beers because it was like that almost like perfect transition this really familiar um sweet malt uh and then this like aggressive hop that i don't think anyone in australia was really Mm. hopping anything that aggressively so beers like that particular one and the uh hop wired were just like this big fresh beers that weren't familiar to me so Mm. but that particular one it was so attractive in a glass 
And I remember I used to have it pretty frequently at Penny Blue in the CBD, and they would serve it in a wine glass, and it just looked. And would, in that bar, the actual bar top is lit, so when that glass wine glass is on the lit bar, it just looks like a picture, and you feel a little bit special when you're drinking it. So, um, yeah, I, and I, it's one of like a beer that I like don't drink regularly, and then whenever I do get it, I go, "Wow, this is so good! Why don't I have this more often?" And then I. Two years later, I have the same conversation, revelation, <laughs> when I realize how good it is again. Are you going to go buy one after this? I do. It's pretty good, eh? Because, like, it's, we, we're drinking the 8-wide session IPA, the semiconductor, mm. and I, it must be a similar hop profile because mm. it's got a really distinctive, like, the hop-wide, the tall poppy, and uh, the semiconductor all have a pretty, like, familiar and recognizable aroma. I think he uses... All New Zealand hops right. all the time, maybe. I know the Hopwide was like the first beer that used all New Zealand malt and all New Zealand hops in an IPA. Uh, so I know that was kind of one of his things. But it's a, like it's a pretty like, it's like a house aroma. Like you, mm. can, you can tell it's a eight wide beer when you have it. So mm. um, that, talking about it and having that beer, maybe that will go on. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking yourself into it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, we're down to our final choices. Um, We've come a long way. Haven't we? It is. It's been a quite a, <laughs> an education, a, an adventure. So um, I w- I'm going to go Dave. To kick off? All right. Yeah. I, get to I, think round I, feel, it out. I feel like I've done this in the reverse order than I should have done <laughs> it. But um, Stone and Wood Pacific Ale. It's, awesome. It's just, it's it's as good now in my mind. I don't mean the beer is as good, but like I enjoy it as much as I ever did. And it was, that one, it was one of those ones where I was at a house party and someone was drinking it, and because I was pretty curious and I'd never seen the label before, got talking to the person, and the person sort of didn't care. Like, I, as I said, went, yeah, it's good. And then that was like the end of their description of what the beer was. So it's sort of like, I went, ooh, when I see that label again, I'll pick it up. And then like this bright beer in the glass, zesty passion fruit, like the quintessential um, galaxy hop mm. beer that everyone loves now and it's just the perfect summertime beer there's no one that doesn't love Stone and Wood Pacific Ale mm. and it's a perennial winner of every award for a very good reason um, I, and I can't imagine ever turning off that beer We're, I think that beer suffers a little bit sometimes from age a yeah, little bit like I've had, and I think that's what turns people off it if it if you get one that's a little bit too old, it, it tastes really watery and, and loses a lot of the character. Um, when you get a fresh one, you're just like, what? But this I don't think, it, like, even if you get one that's a little bit older, it doesn't turn you off ever buying that beer no, again. So no. when you do, like, you are going to come across a fresh one and then it's going to, like, sort of rekindle that that um, mm. that love you have for it again. But, gee, it's a good beer. Mm. I'd agree. Luke. Um, so mine, uh, I guess I, I had this for the first time maybe last year. And I, by this point, I, I figure I know as much as I need to know or, or can know about beer and not be surprised. And then I had this beer and was completely surprised. Uh, so it's Phantom Blanche, um, an esoteric Belgian brewer who um, I'd had his beers in the past. And he had a period there where he had a lot of smoke infection or smoke flavour in his beers. And I'd had a few of those and I had a couple earlier of the Saison. And they're great, but it never really clicked for me and this this blanche um i guess like the the canton experience that dave described i didn't understand it at all uh it comes out of the glass it smells like fresh fresh marijuana and grapefruit peel and i don't know how he's achieved that aroma um i think there are maybe grapefruit in there but i've never had it 
in this intensity and it's dry and it's just insanely interesting. Um, I've kept a few bottles and it's evolving into a gingery, more of a ginger flavour now. Um, so it's losing that, but it's picking up a different character and it's just such an interesting beer that if that was always in my fridge, I would be very happy to and never drink anything What else. sort of percentage is it? It might be seven or eight, uh, but that would be a complete guesstimate. Um, Belgian brewers don't really mm. pay any attention to, <laughs> to actual percentages uh, for the <laughs> most part. Um, and this guy, uh, Danny, doesn't really do any... I can't imagine he's measuring that closely. Uh, I think all of his beers are like the same percentage, 7% or whatever, on the label, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a super fun beer, though. I only had it for the first time maybe like a year or a year and a half ago, and... My palate had developed significantly since I'd had the Canty on for the first time. But even when you think like you've got a bit of a grasp of it, when I had that, I was like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Here. Yeah, this <laughs> this is, is so like, weird. I don't know what this is, but <laughs> it's great. <so. laughs> um, and even even the Saison there as well, like so much bottle variation in his beers that you get um, a Saison, will, you open it and it just tastes like straight mango juice and the next bottle you have will be like strawberry shortcake or something. And you say, well, don't understand this, but I really like it. But that's the, the, the Saison that when I had that, I was just like, this, I'm drinking fruit salad. That's yeah. what I'm drinking. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I think that brewery is kind of, I, I crap on about brewers being consistent and, you know, not getting a, a bad product. Uh, brewers need to pay more attention to consistency. But when you get a bad Fantome, you're like, ah, it's fine. He's a crazy Belgian guy. And when he gets it right, it's just worth it. Like, I'll take one amazing one out of every four bad ones because the amazing one is, is so good and that Blanche is... is wow. Like you have to set up, like, a pretty significant base level of great beer to be get away with that sort of inconsistency, yeah, yeah. though. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, I'll, t- I'll take that lottery. Whereas other breweries, I have one bad beer and I, I will never buy them again. Yeah, exactly. That's it, yeah. So do you... Um do you have any special mentions that didn't quite make it? Do I ever? I had to, <laughs> I had to cut that list down. Um, I'd be keen to hear some thoughts. We've already discussed the Tokyo that was already there. Um, one really early for me that I loved and now I despise. Uh, I think they've changed the recipe now, so it's a bit more appealing to me. But the Holgate Hoppinator, um, first double IPA I think ever brewed in the country, perhaps. Maybe, yeah, I'm not sure. Close to it, but super caramelly malt that, like, again... I, p- I probably liked it because it did have like characteristics of other beers that I enjoyed, but now like uh, well, f- until they changed the recipe to a more clean um, malt bill, uh, c- it'd be just undrinkable to me these days. But um, <laughs> but I really really enjoyed it back in the day, so like it really has to get a mention. Do you have any memories of that beer? Uh yeah, probably the same same thing. Uh, I loved it, and now I'd probably if it was the same sort of profile, I probably wouldn't be a fan. And I think at the time. Most of the IPAs on shelves were kind of stale. Um, so, like, you know, Beer Republic Race of Five or Green Flash, you'd, you know, you'd get them on the shelves and they were probably six months old. And in our minds, that kind of sweet, caramelly, stale IPA was what that should taste like. And it was great. And I think that influenced a lot of Australian brewers to use a lot more darker malts in their, in their IPAs. And yeah. now that kind of more and more, you know, the Kiwi brewers are brewing the really lean ones. Um, we're getting more of the Australian one, or the American ones, fresher, and then uh, Australian brewers are, are sort of starting to now cut back on that malt and give us that clean profile, and mm. that's what I really like to drink now. So, mm. absolutely. And my, I guess one of my notables um, that didn't quite make it was the Hop Zombie from mm. Epic, and that that's that really clean, really just. 
dialed in lean malt profile and it's so fragrant and so vibrant that when I first heard that had that I was like oh, okay this is that was a bit of a game changer too I remember there was a uh, during the must be the first good beer week there was a launch party at somewhere that escapes me cookie, cookie. perhaps yeah uh, and I went with James Smith from the Crafty Pint and we got there 40 minutes after this event started and they were done dry with it but because James is such a uh, magnetic character people got a few glasses for him and, and asked to try and that was everyone was just like ooh this is what IPA should be mm. um, and then since then I think we saw more of a pretty clean focus on that because it was so like so light the beer mm. like and it was what is it like, they, 7 they d- or 7.5 maybe 8% I think it's 8 and they, they described it I remember in the Beervana guide one time as school bus yellow was the colour of it and That's it not was, bad. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty accurate. It's so bright. And I, we're, Dave and I were talking on the way here, and I don't think I've had it for a number of years now, and I, I kind of want to revisit to see how it holds, holds up um, now that, you know, there's a lot more people doing similar similar beers on the market. So, mm. One that was stiff to not make my list, and I'm sure it's the same for Luke, the Mountain Goat Hightail Ale. Mm. Um, it's such a stalwart um, of the Melbourne scene. I remember even before I was getting into beers, going to gigs at the corner hotel and seeing that like what is that tap handle what's mm. that goat and like just getting it because it's a little bit different and that worked in their favor that that design sure right? of course um but just get at a at a uh live music venue that was a little bit crusty and not that flash seeing these like giant pints of this like amber beer it was kind of and everyone loved it because like, mm. they were very very local and it was different beer and it tasted like a, it tasted to me like a double IPA at the time because mm. it's just such a huge character of a beer um, where like everything else is mm. Carlton and VB but very fond memories and it's, it stands up. It's still really good now. It's gone through a few like variations. Mm. Um, everyone loves a bit of Hightail. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that yeah. beer. Um, yeah, I think that beer just does everything a beer needs to. You can have it on a cold day with a stew. You can have it on a summertime day, a summertime day uh, in the sunshine. It's it's got such a unique character, but it's a real winner that Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Do you have any ones you want to talk about before I take over? No, I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> I've got more. Before don't you about take it. over. Uh, no, I think that's probably it. I guess my other notable would be Double Brown out of New Zealand. Uh, we used to call it the goodness. Ten dollars a dozen. Uh, we used to when I was a teenager load up on cases of that for for parties and. Uh, another. Beer writer out of New Zealand really does the double down, double brown, which is the KFC double down um, burger, which is like the two chicken fillets <laughs> oh, as yeah. the buns uh, and bacon and, and I think more chicken in the middle, middle baby. <laughs> and he has a double brown. He, he reckons it's an amazing match. And is there any reason do you think that that took off in New Zealand and here we went, I don't think I want that in my life? Because <laughs> it, it came across um, here and then no one cared about it. Yeah. New Zealand, I think, loves KFC. As right. a whole, there is kind of a, a racial stereotype around uh, Samoans. They love KFC, and the Samoan p- population would probably be into it. Uh, oh. I used to, uh, still really good friends with a, a Samoan guy, and as soon as our um, student allowance went in, we were studying at the time on a Tuesday night, he was basically like in the car park of KFC <laughs> waiting. <laughs> That's great. Another one that is uh, looked back on, for, I haven't had it in ages, but uh, Hargraves Hill ESB, oh, um, one that I'd never. I just don't think I've ever seen a hand pump before. And then um, the Royston Hotel had a hand pump that had Hargo Hotel ESB pretty regularly. And that's like a great local example of the style anyway. But um, to have it at the higher temperature pulled through the hand pump is just 
magical way to have beer, I think. Mm. There are so many beers as well from that period that, um, you know, they're still around that I probably haven't drunk for, for years, but they were so formative. Like, you know, the Holgate, um, Hargreaves Hill, Mountain Goat were kind of like, you know, the only ones at the time really doing things. Uh, and so, yeah, all of those breweries have such a, a special place for people that had nothing else at the time um and now like I, I don't know what people getting into beer like where they start and i'm always kind of curious to find out like what's appealing to to your beer drinkers and i think maybe you know things like moondog or um yeah probably moondog's probably a, a one that appeals to people because it's got the the crazy nature of it and now there's local breweries in almost every suburb that people are kind of adopting their local brewery as their Mm. Their, uh, what to pin their flag to kind of a thing. Yeah, I suppose if you start drinking beer um, now, you've probably, you know, like the Stone and Wood Pacific Ale is available, you know, in yeah. most pubs now. Can't, and can't and you it, yeah. might just, that's the norm now. Mm. That's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I have seen, like, Facebook comments and, and article comments of people saying, you know, not considering Stone and Wood one of the, sort of the big players and not a craft brewery and sort of, lumping them in with, you know, um, James Squire and Matilda Bay and, and as well as CUB and all that. So people already see them in, in that space. Um, mm. And let's face it, they are huge now. Their brewery's massive. Um, but, man, they give a shit about their beer. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's hard to, you know, dismiss that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose, yeah, adjectives are, are shifting all the time, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. So you can't keep up with the, with the industry. But um, you also get to choose a snack to go accompany your your six beers sure um and also a a receptacle to to drink all six beers uh so what was your snack mine i've mentioned fried chicken twice already (laughs) i don't know if you guys noticed that but i I just like to slip fried chicken in there so yeah uh fried chicken of any nature i don't not give a shit where it comes from as long as it's fried and chicken i'm on board so fried chicken (laughs) and it's great with beer like lambic if you have a, a not too spicy Pizza fried chicken, that's an amazing combination. Um, spicy and, and IPA. Yeah, fried chicken for all occasions. Because in, in Europe, you can go into like McDonald's and get a beer. Yeah. Do you think KFC could do maybe do a line of Lambic? Or <laughs> <laughs> they were doing something with beer. Oh, I can't remember where I saw it. It's probably in New Zealand. Um, yeah, there's something about KFC opening a bar somewhere. I don't know oh, I actually was. remember that. Yeah. I, I, no details, but I remember that um, reading that that was happening somewhere. I'd be yeah. totally on board. I, yeah. I still <laughs> love KFC. Just buying a pint of gravy. <laughs> I just <laughs> imagine my people just drinking gravy. <laughs> yeah, so a little fried chicken, that, that's good because easy to get hold of. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's a good choice. And Dave? Um, mine is uh, local snack producers Wonder Snacks uh, Kamikaze Nut Mix, which is like peanut butter, uh, peanut, peanuts, almonds, cashews, with like a, I think it's a reduced duck fat that binds it together with some chili and paprika and some sort of like umami paste as well. And it's MSG basically. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> something that um, I try and recreate to like take just like for snacks at work and I can't get anywhere near it. But like I think what I do is great. And then I like get that again. I'm trying to, because it's pretty expensive for what you get. You can't just have heaps of it. Did you try the one we had on uh, Christmas in August? The one that Emma made? Yeah, yeah, delicious. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty easy to make. Yeah, nice. Recipe for that. Um, absolutely, I'll hit that straight up. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just so delicious, so delicious. And receptacle to drink, uh, obviously KFC bucket. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, potato and gravy shops. Of, uh, <laughs> no, uh, I'm going to go the complete opposite of, of if you know KFC's the well, fried chicken's kind of, uh, I guess, not as fancy. Um, you know, appeal to everyone. Yeah, uh, a red wine glass. 
uh, is probably what I drink. It's what I drink everything out of these days, and uh, I don't really use any beer glasses. I've got a I got a free from a festival. It's I think a plum vintage red A is the kind of glass. It's just a, a nice big, really well made wine glass, and yeah, I, I don't think there's a better glass for beer than than wine glasses. <laughs> That's great. Like, just the image of you sat with your KFC bucket. Yeah, and yeah. Your <laughs> fancy. Like, Honestly, not swirl. too far yeah. from my Friday night. <laughs> <at my house. laughs> it's great. And Dave, I drink everything out of a brandy balloon. I think it's um, just a big bulbous. I mean, it's probably the same theory as the white, the red wine glass, mm. like a uh, burgundy glass, perhaps a similar mm. shape, just with a tiny stem. Um, and it's fantastic because you can put like if you every sip your nose is getting stuck into it, so you're getting the full aromas of it. Um, I just think it's perfect. Yeah. There's a bit of theatre as well involved yeah. in it, the way it swirls around the bottle. Without as well. a doubt, yeah. So have you ever requested in a, in a bar? Um, if I s- I haven't, but if I saw if I could see brandy balloons and I was buying a bottle, I would probably ask for a, like, that, that to use that glassware. I I know I've heard of people like taking their own glasses in the US into a bar because they oh, it was like a boo. special beer event oh, it's a special place in hell reserved for those <laughs> yeah, people yeah and yeah. like to me you're just sucking the fun out of oh, being God. at a bar like if I saw that it would ruin my night I'd have to go home I think yeah <laughs> the, the, there's a guy in my uh, local pub at home who he used to keep a stainless steel tankard behind the bar but it was it had one imperial pint as the measurements but rumour had it that he'd hammered out oh, around the bottle so he, he was getting yeah. maybe 10 yeah. mils every <laughs> every pint you see there's some like lovability to that actually. yeah yeah <laughs> I mean if you're happy if they're happy to keep your glass on premise go for it that's the spirit that's of the hustle that yeah. I like about that yeah. one <laughs> absolutely um like we, one of our early episodes, we, we was when the IPA glass came out from um, Riedel, and uh, we like blind tested a whole bunch of beers, and we sort of determined that for IPA, that actually was like an advantageous glass to use, mm. um, and then that made that got me thinking, and I got the I got an IPA and I drank it, I poured. One into the IPA glass and one into my brandy balloon, and I was just as happy. I was, or I was mm. happier because I like my nose being in it when mm. I'm drinking out of it. Well, and that's yeah. yeah once I, th- I feel like you get to a point with glassware, as long as you're buying something nice and, and right out and plum, for example, they make really nice glassware. So it's fine. Like if it's a nice shape and a, a nice glass, it's not going to matter too much. Well, I was reading an article about someone who thought that. And then with wine, and then they tried the different sorts of wine. I think Rydell hosted them, and and you know different sorts of wine, different glasses, and they said it was you know completely different and life changing. But I think there's a lot of suggestion going in when those workshops are taking place. Um, you know, this is a Pinot glass, and this is a Pinot, so it's going to taste better out of that one. I don't know. I'd be, I'd be interested to do one of those myself. Uh, I, and I guess the the damning thing on that is wine awards, beer awards. They all use same glass they don't change glasses yeah, exactly. style if it was such a big issue for the producers and everything i i imagine people would make a big issue about it but a good glass is a good glass so. yeah um like i was uh it was it's sort of what uh the impetus for that episode was but like i was cynical when i saw that uh, that ipa glass because it looks ridiculous mm. and the suggestion that was like the when the first conversations were starting about a particular glass for each style but now everyone that comes out I'm like come on they put out a barrel aged one the <laughs> <Yeah>. other day <laughs> or a wit glass and it was a barrel aged put everything in a brandy balloon 
<laughs> this one was made in collaboration because all, all the, those ones are you know collaboration with two breweries. And it was like Green Flash and Left Hand, I think, for the barrel age one. Neither breweries are like famous for barrel age. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can, why choose them? Yeah. And it just looks like they're pills in a glass. And I don't understand like barrel character is so different across so many different beers. Like, what are you emphasizing? Yeah, exactly. Oak? It's such a weird approach. Okay, so I would, I'd be happy to let them get away with the IPA special glass, but now I'm like, come on. Yeah, barrel aging or yeah. 4% yeah. beer glass. Yeah. <laughs> and look, I, I think there's a, a point where they're just ripping off gullible people, right? Like, there's, there's people buy that straight away, and it's like, you know, oh, I've got to get you know the collection. And it's like, do you? <laughs> do you? <laughs> the, uh, there's a, an interview with um, the guy from Stiff Little Fingers uh, who was talking about in their re- record contract when they finally signed one they stipulated that all their records had to be black, round, vinyl. Because at the time, there were so many weird records coming out, and he's like, it's just ripping off your fans. And I kind of feel like that with those glasses. They just yeah. yeah, I feel a way about soccer boots. Yeah. Just black. <laughs> just having black. If you wear black <laughs> boots in the AFL, you are an outlier. Yeah. <laughs> Look at yeah. that subversive dude running yeah. around his black boots. He's trying to get, get some votes. fur on. Yeah, Jeez. exactly. Show off. <laughs> Even if you're wearing the same <laughs> coloured boots, they're like, come on. Come on, yeah. You need fluoro <laughs> pink and fluoro green. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks very much, Luke and Dave, for being on the show today. Thanks um, for inviting us. Fantastic choices, uh, and yeah, it was, it was certainly an education for me as well, going through some of those. And uh, have you have you had all the ones that we chose? Most definitely not. No. Oh. So I think a trip to the 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 bottle, potentially expensive trip. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit sad about Dave saying every bottle he bought was fifty dollars. So I'll uh, remortgage the house and then um, go. Sure. go Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but um, where can we find you online and um, at Ale of a Time for me on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook.com slash Ale of a Time Ale of a Time.com and Luke at Ale of a Time.com for your email you can get me at Melb Dave across pretty much everything mm. and you can email me Dave at Ale of a Time too if you like. yeah. yeah it's been a pleasure thanks for having yeah, us it's been great. great really enjoyed it cheers boys So that was it. Thanks to Dave and Luke for spending the afternoon with me. It was a pleasure to listen to their six beers. I hope you enjoyed it listening to it too. If you haven't checked out Dave and Luke's blog and their podcast, Ale of a Time, seriously, do yourself a favor. The Both guys who are really passionate about the beer industry and they give it a lot of praise, but also they're not afraid to call it out when they see fit and that's really refreshing that they're willing to speak their mind on some controversial issues and definitely have a look and read through their blog there's some really thoughtful pieces on there and their podcast is a pleasure to listen to as well you can get in touch with me at the chosen brew au.com i'd love to hear from you on twitter as well at the chosen brew if you know anybody who would like to be on the podcast or you're involved in the brewing industry yourself and would like to be a guest and talk through your six formative beers, I'd love to hear from you. In the next episode, I travelled up to Orange in New South Wales, birthplace of Banjo Patterson. Sadly, not to interview Banjo Patterson, uh, but I interviewed Marty Oliver from Boronor, a really small brewery. Great to see sort of like grassroots Uh, brewing happening out in the countryside there so click subscribe so you get the next episode where you'll find out what beer opened marty's eyes 
an aromatic component that makes you sit up and go, wow, what, what am I about to taste? That was a real eye opener. See you next time.